Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football, spring football 2019 officially over. So we're going to recap and look back at some of the highlights and what we saw over the past six weeks or so of USC spring football with the coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, Harvey Hyde. Dot com. If you have any questions or comments for us, we love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or if you'd like to call or text us, the number is 424-254-9141. Especially during the offseason, we love to hear from you. Any ideas for topics you want us to discuss over the next few weeks? You got summer workouts coming up after graduation, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, fall camp will start up in uh, late July. But just you know, send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Shoot us a text or leave us a voicemail. Anything you'd like us to talk about during this offseason, it's all going to be about you and what you'd like to hear from us. And we'd like to hear from our guest, Coach Harvey Hyde. We've been doing that for many, many years together. How you doing, Coach? What's up? Ryan, I'm doing great. I'll tell you, I had a nice uh, Saturday practice out at USC. I enjoyed it. Um, beautiful weather. Uh, type of practice I like in the spring. It's uh, amazing how quickly 15 days go. We used to have 20, now it's down to 15. And it really sets the tone, uh, spring practice of the upcoming season. Uh, as far as who you are, you try to start to uh, develop an, uh, an identity, uh, who your leaders are. You try to evaluate the whole package and I think now they'll have a lot of staff meetings and try to determine uh, the future because when the season rolls around, you've got so many things to uh, to cover and uh, it, you don't have the time that you do in the spring. No, yeah, there's not a ton of time. And uh, they do spread it out a little bit, so they got some time to review film and all of that in between the practices. They had that first week, then they took spring break off. Uh, but I think, for, you know, installing a – a new offensive system, I think it was probably smart to kind of spread it out uh, over that time. And, you know, when you talk to Graham Harrell, you talk to the quarterbacks and, and Clay Helton, they said, yeah, they, they installed everything and basically a third of it every day. So they could do it over five different weeks where they could do a whole, you know, one week of install. They took that spring break. And then every week since then, they could do another week of, you know, going over those same plays over and over and over again. And I don't know if from the beginning to the end, coach, did you feel that was a smart strategy? And did you kind of see them get you know, the offense get a little crisper as they picked up the system as they went along? Well, I think you get better doing what you do uh, when you do it a lot. I agree with that 100%. Uh, there's only so, you know, you can only be so simple. And I think they tried to cut down on their errors, which were, I think, important things that uh, beat themselves last year. They, now have a uh, more of a uh, philosophy on what they're trying to attempt to do rather than not really uh, grab-bagging more, as I might say, offensively and defensively. I think that they uh, learned a lot more as far as uh, responsibilities on gap control, contain, and different things. I think that the coaching staff had a chance to get together, and they work very well together. Uh, on the offensive side, uh, everyone was talking about the offense more on the defense because obviously I think that's where they needed a lot of improvement. Not that they didn't need improvement too on the uh, defensive side. The theme on defense from Coach Clay Heldon was we want to simplify it. And I think that means uh, to me when I hear that term is <clears throat> we want to make it where we're not making mistakes all the time. And on defense, I thought they made a lot of mistakes last year as far as gap control, containing, a lot of breakdowns in the secondary, penalties as far as in the secondary. If you eliminate all of those things, you possibly have a better defensive football team. I know you do than what you did. And on the offensive side, you get to be more understanding of what you do in certain periods and where you are on the field and 
it's simple, but yet you still have to execute it. And uh, execution is the name of the game. And I know they haven't put in all the offense, but they didn't see a lot of things. You didn't see the quarterback carrying the ball at all or carrying out a lot of fakes. And maybe they're not going to carry the football. But with the one-back offense, uh, I think you have to uh, utilize your quarterback. But I did see some two-back offense earlier in the spring, which would, uh, I think, help their offense a lot because I think they have capable running backs and they can diversify and use that running back as they do a receiver. The tight ends, I really didn't see them utilize much at all this spring except for like an H-back situation where they're like a tight end off the ball. Uh, didn't see much motion at all uh, as far as I don't know if he plans on using motion uh, to try to determine what the coverage is. So they kept it very simple. But I think they had uh, fun. It's almost like seven-on-seven, seven, that offense. Seven-on-seven seven with an offensive line in front of you blocking. And I think, again, the key of it is can they hold the guys out long enough for him to do the reads. So we'll see what happens and avoid the sack. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. Um, there was a you talked about the officials being at practice, and that was one of the things they were trying to work on is to uh, limit some of the mistakes that were made. It got a little chippy in that final practice uh, Saturday, Coach, and uh, Clay Hilton made the whole team do up downs, and uh, you know kind of made it a talking point. Said that the, the players it would have been. I think it was Michael Pittman and one of the defensive backs that the players would have been ejected. And that's the kind of thing uh, he wants to avoid. Anytime there's a personal foul, he said he's going to stop practice and have everyone do up downs. But didn't really we didn't really see that until the final practice. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. And then sometimes it's maybe it's not a bad thing for the guys to be a little chippy, especially as practice ends. You're starting to sound like me a little bit. <laughs> uh, see, I think that's a good thing. That's what I call competing. I mean, uh, caring about what you're doing and uh, wanting to be successful. And if somebody is holding you or doing something you don't like, uh, of course, you, you let him know it. And you've been hitting the same color the whole spring. And, of course, uh, somebody's probably been getting away with something, so you want to tell him. Somebody tells you something back, so he shoves you. No one's going to get hurt or anything's going to happen. But I think it's a good way to have an example. I think it's a good thing to happen because you can – uh, teach off of those things. Teach off of those things. Uh, in the old days, we used to, you know, sort of say, oh, you guys want to fight. Okay, circle around these guys. Go out in the middle of the field and let them fight. And fight until they can't stand up. No kicking allowed. And they get completely exhausted, and the team would watch that. And, and then, uh, you know, I would say, okay, now you've both been ejected from the game. Get off the field. And uh, because I didn't want them to carry that into the locker room or at a fraternity party or somewhere and get in a fight and start that chipping again, I wanted it to be completely eliminated in their mind. But again, on Saturday, I think that could have been handled a little bit differently. Don't get me wrong. What I mean is rather than the up-downs and all of that, I think that possibly you could teach off of that by uh throwing them both out of the game, which they would have been out of the game, uh, can't practice any longer, and neither one of you will start the opening game. I think that sort of sends a message to the whole team, wow, because that's what the penalty would be in the game. And I'm not saying they don't play. I'm saying the first play or whatever, they're not in the starting lineup now. Or I start them when I want to or put them in the game when I want to. And that sends a message, a silent message. Up-downs don't really, that's kindergarten stuff, okay, uh, at a college level. That's more of embarrassing than it is anything else, and you're wasting time. But after the penalty, you say, okay, guys, you're out of practice today, and you won't start in the game because that's what the penalty is as far as getting thrown out of a game for that type of stuff uh, during the year, targeting or whatever. So I think there's a different way of doing it, but Clay Helton has his way, and if it works for him, that's all that counts. Yeah, I think, I mean, in general, we, we were pretty critical last year, right, of some of the mistakes. You had Arizona, oh, yeah. like, 18 penalties in a game. And, and the response was, well, we had a meeting, and we discussed it. And it was like, well, that's probably not going to fix what's going on. And so I did like, now that sometimes some practice, they might only have, like, four officials out there, and sometimes they would have, like, 10 or whatever. Uh, but I felt like just having officials there every time, flags being thrown, 
Uh, at least it was a you know step you know probably not even perfect, but I think it was a step in the right direction. We'll see if that you know bears fruit. But I, I felt like that was smart to do something like that because they they really didn't address the the penalty problem last year. And I think they, I think, coach, I think it was like second in the nation, like second from the bottom in the nation in penalty yards or something. I mean, really something really bad. Uh, this at least was a way to somehow try to address it. No, I agree, and I think. Uh... We spoke about it. I've been talking about that for a couple of years, so it's nothing new as far as on this web or this uh, podcast. We always had officials uh, officiating. That's the only way you get better. I told you, you know, you should even have it on the pass rush drills, every drill, everything. There's a holding type of penalty on every play if you want to look for it of some type. And again, you don't stop the practice, but you inform the guy too of what he got away with, or that was okay or not okay. And uh, it's sort of like a coaching. A form of officiating. So the players are getting coached at the same time that they're doing through their techniques and you're not stopping the practice. So I think it's very important that they learn in practice and they don't learn in the game. And uh, yeah, you normally had four or five officials out there. The days that they had like 10 officials out there, that's what you call schooling for officials. That's a lot of officials that are working other levels and then they have their supervisor out there watching them work and they're being schooled on themselves, the officials, as far as that was a good call or not a good call or whatever. So uh, I think it's good. The officials and the teams can work together, and they both get better. The uh, if you listen to Clay Helton speak after the final practice, so we didn't get to get we, we didn't get to talk to Clay Helton after every practice like we normally do. So it was just once a week. So he kind of uh, put a bow on everything, I guess you could say, Saturday after practice and. One of the things that comes up a lot is the position battles, and he's going to come out, you know, in the off season on Fridays. They'll they'll release an internal depth chart, and then of course the same depth chart that will be released every Friday during the season. So we'll get to see, you know, going into a game where everyone sits, and he wanted to make it clear he wanted to have real conversations with uh, the players, and you know, you can move up, you can move down. It's just more of a, they're trying to tell everyone where they are, and they did that throughout spring without telling us. It was more in an internal uh, depth chart sort of thing. I guess the biggest one everyone's talking about, Coach, is the uh, quarterback battle. Um, I don't know from what you saw Saturday. I think Jack Sears had a, a pretty good day. He didn't have the best uh, spring showcase, uh, throwing a pick and having another one of the balls I think got stripped. I don't think it was a pick. I think the other one was a pick. I mean, uh, there was one pick six. Um, Drake Jackson made that incredible play on a little screen. And then there was one, I think, to Devin Williams that got stripped by Dominic Davis. So I don't think it counted as an interception, but it was returned by the Davis for a touchdown. But, you know, he's had some up and down practices, but had some really good plays on Saturday. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on, you know, Jack Sears, JT Daniels, Matt Fink, and Keaton Slovis, the, the the freshman, the incoming freshman, how they all performed and where you, maybe, you know, some kind of pecking order where you think they stand well, I think it uh, has to do a lot with uh, what you're planning on doing with the quarterback. But right now, if I was to evaluate him uh, and say uh, they had a game tomorrow, uh, you'd ask me to put my depth chart out there, okay? Yeah. Not knowing anything about him. Who started last year? Who started this year? Who came out of high school with all the hype? Uh, all of the above, okay? Uh, because there's a lot of players that uh, uh, got different type of uh, backgrounds. But I would start. Jack Sears. Uh, second would be JT Daniels. Third would be Solis. And fourth would be uh, Matt Fink as far as in the spring. Now, I would definitely uh, move that and change that around in the fall because I've wanted Richard Solis, hoping that nothing happens to my quarterbacks. And But otherwise, that depth chart would be the depth chart I would start fall practice with. I think he deserves it. I think he's a leader. I watch him all the time, Sears, on and off the field, even when he He's on the sideline. He's talking to players. He walks off the field with players. I don't go in the uh, training centers to see if he's around. I don't know who to hang out with and so on. But I think he's a team guy, and I think he's the type of guy that will rally the offense and rally the team and be a leader that will uh, bring that offense along. Not that JT now, believe me, uh, isn't a great football player. But I think that after what I've seen uh, this spring, and if I was to start a game tomorrow with not knowing who's who and uh, with a fresh start, it'd be Sears. Interesting. All right. Um, there's a lot of 
the USC fan base coach that feel like Jack Sears is a gamer. They love the way he played against Arizona State. Uh, 20 of 28 was really efficient. Um, and there's, they're very vocal about their support of Jack Sears going forward, which is interesting because when we watched practice last fall and last spring, he did not look as good. I think he's improved a lot. Him and Matt Fink both. I think from last spring, they just looked terrible. Now they're all on the same page with this new system. So they're kind of all learning it uh, as they go. Um, and yeah, it's, it's mixed. I would pick JT at this point, but that's uh, interesting that you have uh, Jack Sears there. But you're, you're certainly not alone. There's a lot of people that are big uh, Jack Sears supporters. And like you said, we haven't seen he's very athletic and he can take off and run. We haven't seen a lot of that really in this offense. And, you know, Graham Harrell said that they've installed everything. So maybe that's just not part of the the regular plan, but that if, if he ends up being the starter, you would want to incorporate more of that. I would think, cause that's something that uh, puts a little bit extra pressure on the defense and then would, you know, open up some throwing lanes for him when he does drop back to pass. Yeah. I just think he's more of a, a team type of guy. Okay. And, and you got great players that surround him. So you want these great players to be motivated and play. And I think that they sort of conjugate around him more and uh, have a good, uh, feeling about him not that JT didn't play a lot and so on but he's a different type of he's more aloof I think he's not outgoing not that you have to be to be a great player but what I saw in the spring I'm just saying what I saw in the spring if if I had if they were all brand new players and I didn't know anything about their background or who they were in all world and all this and that uh, right now, my play would be Jack Sears. And I think the best way, and I say this all the time, you'd find out what the team would thinks who it is. And the team knows who the best quarterback is. Why does the team know? Because they want to win. So they want the best quarterback that they think will win for them. If you let the team vote on them, without putting their name, I'm talking about the offensive side of the football, put their name and or who they think it is and drop it in a bowl and pull them out. I would think it'd be over, it would be 75% Sears. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and you, the players know. And there would be, whoever it is, There's good, you know, the quarterback's going to have some good friends that they'll probably have a couple of votes there. But just in general, people that don't have any skin in the game, if you're the left guard and, and you just know, like, man, I feel really confident about J.C. Daniels or Jack Sears or whoever it is, that's who they would vote for. So that would be, that would be very interesting. I wonder if they, they don't let that happen, huh? They don't want... Coaches aren't usually democratic that way, huh, Coach? <laughs> oh, only on voting the captains. Yeah. When the team votes, then they decide who really is the captain, okay? <laughs> yeah. And then the kids start to think, who'd you vote for? Who'd you vote for? Yeah. How'd that come out that way? I'm just kidding you. No. But, uh, but, I, but I'll tell you one thing. The interesting thing would be is how will the backup quarterbacks, whoever that may be, react to it? If it is Sears, how will JT react to that? How will uh, Fink react to that? I think that's where you see who the team players are. Yeah. And that's who you see who the real people are. Uh, if JT is uh, number one, how will Sears react to that? How, how will uh, the others react to that? I think that's where you find out who your starting quarterback is on who's the real team player. Interesting. And, uh, and it, it's really important to see that. Will one pout? Well, one immediately transfer because, oh, I got screwed or whatever. What is the deal? You know, you a lot of things you can find out this way. Yeah. Um, there was Who's other... willing to fight for it? Who's willing to fight for it? Yeah, you want you want a fighter in there for sure. Um, and certainly a team leader and someone that the, the players will follow. Um, there were some other battles. Now, there, you know, with spring, you can't really tell in the secondary because there just wasn't a lot of guys there, you know. Wide receivers, it was like you had your top four or five guys, and that was, I mean, then there was walk-on. So there's certain position groups. There wasn't really any sort of battles. Like, you'll see more of a battle in the fall in the secondary because you got a lot of guys coming in. Guys are going to be coming back uh, off of injury. Uh, but I wanted to you know, maybe get your comments on the running backs because we saw, you know, maybe the guy that's three on the list, Marquis Stepp, have some uh, really big impact this spring, and he was the healthiest probably throughout all of the spring, so you got to see more of him. And, you know, availability is a very important part of playing football, and he was available. Um, but also we've seen uh, on the, you know, we could talk about the defensive front seven a little bit, but really at the the linebacker spots and the inside linebacker, we had John Houston and uh, Jordan Isefa playing 
in the middle and, and Clancy Pendergast was sort of letting them each of those guys take turns. I think he wants that to be the quarterback of the defense. So they move a guy like Pallier Noadote to their, uh, I think I call the dimes bar, the will linebacker spot, basically. Um, you know, he looks good. Uh, and, you know, there's, but there's a lot of depth, I think, at the inside linebacker spot. So maybe get your thoughts on inside linebackers and uh, running backs uh, for, you know, where those guys stand for you. Well, at the end of spring, steps number one. Malapii two and Carr. Carr had a pretty good little day uh, on Saturday. Uh, I go off of production of what's going on and uh, who's playing their you-know-what off and getting that extra yard and busting through the line of scrimmage. And it's the yards after uh, you get through the line of scrimmage and the physicality you are where people don't want to tackle you and, and all of that. So uh, my number one on the, wet, on the chart would be uh, – steps right now i mean i'm just saying at the end of spring he went the entire spring he got a lot of reps a lot of turns he wasn't sick he wasn't out of practice he paid a price and you have to award players for that uh, you know uh, at the end of spring it's amazing how quickly everybody gets well i noticed that on saturday everybody's starting to walk better and so on if you've been injured and, and uh but uh because uh, a lot of times uh kids uh, don't like spring practice but that's where you know the ones who go out there and, and bust the you-know-what off, you reward them for that. So I'd be steps would be that. As far as on the linebacker situation, they're blessed with a lot of talented linebacker. Uh, you talk about having a guy that wants to be the uh, captain of your defense or get people lined up and so on. I think that's good. And I think John Houston's a great kid and played a lot of downs. He's got a lot of reps. But is he the best linebacker? Is he the best combination of your best players that are out there? When you have other great linebackers who are more physical, uh, you know, and, and so on. Myself, my two linebackers in the fall, not the spring, in the fall, I would look at as far as what I'd want my two linebackers to be is Solomon and and what's his name, number one, uh, the guy oh, that you yeah. got at Will Linebacker. Yeah, yeah. Those are my two linebackers. They can both run the very physical. You so Solomon, Solomon Tule Alapupu, who was, he missed a lot right. of the spring, yeah, with the foot injury. Right. But I'm saying in the fall with him back and so on, if I want to be physical and I want some guys that are uh, tough guys and um, you can't run at them, you, you dare them to run at you. You say, please try to run at me. He run at either one of us. Don't just pick me because I'm 220 pounds. Pick us both or pick either one of us, but we'll step up in that hole, take our gap, and knock you, you know, where. Uh, to me, that's the type of what I call aggressive defense, physical defense. Somebody wants to punish you. You don't want anybody to want to carry the ball or catch the football or do anything because you know that they're going to be punished when they get hit. Uh, that's what I look at. And then on the defensive uh, outside, uh, I think you need to have rush guys on the outside and down distance situations who play a certain way and can get to the quarterback on long distance, I'd take out my slower guys and put in my other guys and play in these guys who can really come across the line of scrimmage. And, and I don't see how you keep uh, Drake Jackson out of the football game. I just don't see how you keep him out of the football game. That's all. Yeah. And uh, Figueroa, I think, is coming along better. He was injured, but he's come along. I think he's uh, going to make a contribution. Uh, I think a lot of these guys, well, I'd have to tell you, but to feel how you pronounce these guys' names all inside, but, but I'm telling you, and I apologize to them, but, uh, they can play and, uh, getting them in the right position and how to flatten out and get to their gaps and contain something they could never do before is contain, always get caught up inside. And I hate to say that, but that, that happened. Uh, you want to play on their side of the football, I want to be very physical on the defensive line. I think they can do that. They have the capabilities of doing that. When you think of the number of people play, Khalili, what's his name, 58, all these kids, they, you know, they can play. I don't have a depth chart in front of me, so I, you know, I'm just not throwing out everybody's name, so excuse me. But, hey, and I think Coach K is doing a great job of coaching the defensive line. I really do because they're being coached this year. Not that Yukizi didn't coach him, but doesn't have the knowledge that this coach has and the background that this coach has and the respect that this coach has. The other 
coaches, you know, they're buddies, you know, they're about the same age, you know, Hey again, let's do this. And, and, uh, are they really doing it for a living? I mean, coach K is doing it for a living. He's, he's been on those type of programs and I think he has respect from the defensive line. As far as I've been here, I've coached these guys and know what's going on. Don't tell me, I'll tell you type of thing. So I like what's going on there. And I think they're better. I watch him coach on the run, which I like. You don't stop the drill to coach. You coach on the run. When somebody loses contain, he's letting you know it. And I think that's all part of it. Uh, he doesn't scream and yell, but you know when he's talking. You listen when he's talking. And I think you need to have that type of discipline as far as in the front seven. And I think that if you just simplify things, as Coach Helen's been talking about, and they do what they're supposed to do and don't beat themselves, and we talked about that in the secondary and penalties and all of that already, you're already a better football team. One of the things that you said, Coach, is interesting with the Solomon Tui Alapupu uh, middle linebacker stuff. And I think, you know, you I like, you know, Paliano Teote uh, a lot. But for Clancy Pendergast, he really wants someone in the middle that he can trust to make all the calls. And I think he wants to see Nayo Teote out on the field. Uh, because there was, I forget which game it was, where he wasn't out there and, and everyone was questioning it. They were, you know, it, it just was a weird decision. Uh, you got to get him on the field. He's too good. Um, I think Clancy Pendergast this week talked about, he said, you know, he came to him and said he wants to be the best linebacker ever to play at USC. You got to play him uh, in there. But so they're good. So they moved him and they put John Houston, who's been at the Will linebacker spot for the last couple of years, into the middle. Uh, and, you know, they moved some guys around. I, for, I mean, I'm not you know disagreeing with the, fir- the first day of practice when I got to see Solomon. He was making a bunch of plays. It wasn't in pads. But after the first couple, he was out there. It's just hard. We haven't seen enough of him, for me, uh, to say that. But to, to start a guy that's like never played before over a couple of senior veterans seems like, I don't know if Clancy Pendergast would, would do that. You know what I mean, Coach? Well, I don't know if he's going to do it, and he isn't going to do it, okay? I don't think he is, but I'm just saying I want my players on the field, okay? And if he is healthy and if he can do that, he's going to be on the field. He's going to play because I want to bring these guys along. I want to be that type of defensive football team. I want the best players on the field in the best position. I just don't think John Houston's a strong side linebacker, middle linebacker. That's all. My first thought would be run at him. And uh, he's just not physical enough to be in there and take it on. You've got to depend on your defensive front, which will do it. But he gets cut off a lot getting to his gap. And when he gets to his gap, it's very difficult for him to stop a guy on the line of scrimmage because he's not that big or strong. You've seen him out of a uniform. Great player. I think he's more of a will linebacker. Uh, that's where they, uh, that's where they played him before. And I think they'd be better than what they were with Cameron Smith with that type of setup with them both together. So that's just my thought. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling you, but I tell you, if he Solomon can play the way he can play and he's 100% healthy, no, I would not start him now, but if he's healthy and maybe after the second game or third game or after, you know, whatever, and he's ready to go, and he's that type of football player. He's not going to be standing next to me. I want you to know. He's not going to be standing next to me. He's going to be out there in combat, okay? Yeah. With his buddy and trying to tattoo people and or crack their helmets or whatever you got to do, and that's the type of linebackers I want on the field. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, they, they're, we'll see. There's uh, John Houston is not the, the biggest guy. and It feels like a little forced that they just – he would rather have somebody trust up there in the middle as opposed to uh, like a bigger back that is going to be harder to run at in EA. But, um, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, that we've seen the way kind of Clancy Pendergast, you know, divides the duties and things like that. Um, but there's there's a lot of linebackers, too. Uh, is there going to be more of a rotation? How are those end spots going to be? If it's going to be more down lineman looks as opposed to the predator stuff? All that kind of stuff will be interesting to watch uh, coming up. We got a couple questions for you, Coach. First, we'll go to uh, Maybet in Ontario. Uh, she says, questions for Ryan and Coach Hyde. If President Carol Folt solicited your opinion on how to improve USC athletics in general and the USC football program in particular, what would your advice be? Great show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Maybet. Well, if she was to call me up, which she already has, right? I want you to know. I'm sure, yes. Advice. 
probably right away. I'm sure. I want to just wanted everybody to know out there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would say it starts at the top. It starts with her, and it starts with her people that are under her, and it starts with a philosophy that goes throughout the faculty and everywhere all the way on down with all your deans, and they understand what they need and want, and with experienced people at every head of every department that's been there, done it. And I think that that's one thing they're lacking at USC in the athletic department. They've never had uh, recently an athletic director that's been there and done it. They've had famous names in the athletic department, and uh, they certainly should be well-known athletes in the athletic department, but they haven't been there and done it. And you need to have people that's been there and done it and are in control of the athletic department as far as what comes out of the athletic department, uh, what is the philosophy, what is the uh, tweets that come out, what does the uh, releases look like, what does the press conferences look like, what does the practice fields look like, what does the basketball arenas look like, uh, should we have cheerleaders on the f- uh, floor of the basketball game? All of the different things that have a reason for things happening. And that, again, is passed down. Now, how does that happen? Well, the athletic director, if they make a change, and I'm not saying or suggesting, I'm just saying you asked the question, would have the availability of bringing in two or three of his own assistant athletic directors that have been there, that have done it that know how to be in charge of certain areas of their responsibility, but they've done it before, maybe even ex-athletic directors, to be under him because he's so strong he's not afraid to have them around him, to administer the program in the academic side, the nutrition side, the strength and conditioning side, work with the head coach directly and see the same things that the head coach sees and even suggest things to the head coach that can better his program and maybe say, you know, what if we did this and I could give you more here or more money that uh, to get it done? You need that, and you need somebody that's going to be at the events to be recognized and people know that he's not afraid to shake hands and visit people, be outgoing yet stern and respected by everyone. Uh, Don't uh, mistake kindness for weakness type of leadership. That's respected from the bottom up, from the equipment room all the way up to the top that this person is for us, wants us to do everything, and will give us everything to be successful. If we're not successful, it's our fault. We deserve to get fired. This is what you need, and you need that to bring in right now and settle the dust and everything that, uh, you know, I see, I see Instagram things that come out, and I say, what is this about? I mean, who's in charge of this, or who would send that out? Or, I mean, hey, build a foundation first before you top off the building, okay? There's, uh, there's just a lot of things that I don't think people know what's going on. And I think it's got to be that leadership role. And since you asked me, I'm telling you. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. You have your own opinion. But you've got to be able to have strong leadership that is for you, you respect, you love, and you want to win for that person. The players understand who you are. They know when you walk around and when you say it, you mean what you say, and you've got that level of respect from everyone. Yeah, Maybeth, thanks for the question. Uh, yeah, the advice for me would be very similar to what the coach is saying. Uh, and it's weird, coach, when people talk about, I mean, Lin Swan's not a very popular athletic director, obviously. He's the third football player in a row to be hired. I've had people that I know known for a long time and they'll be like, you know who the next athletic director should be? And they'll give me the name of another football player. I'm like, would you stop with this? Like this three times in a row is enough. You know, you have to move on. Um, so I would say, yes, I think it's time to take, you know, you got to take the athletic department in a different direction. Uh, under Lynn Swan, three members of his staff have been uh, arrested uh, by the feds. So I, I think you have a pretty good excuse to, part ways and uh, and go in a different direction. And then you hire someone who is a sitting athletic director at another university. That's, I mean, just that it's that simple. Um, I won't even say doesn't know the fight song, which is a thing I normally say, just hire someone who's a current athletic director somewhere else and is doing a good job. If you do that, things will get a lot better. So um, that's what the, the only advice I would give her. Uh, maybe it would be that that's where it's got to start. 
Um, well, I hope she has that experience too, and I, I hope she understands what it takes to be successful. And, and uh, I want to, you know, give her the. the I want to give her that benefit that she does, and she does have a difficult job to do. But again, I want everybody to know too. I really feel if she's smart enough to know. What will mend the university faster than anything else, Ryan? It's for this coming football season to be successful in the new renovated Coliseum. To go out there and win and want the people to come back and buy their tickets and be able to tailgate and be able to have the pride and leave the stadium happy and follow the Trojans on the road and get back to what and how important the tradition is of Trojan football then you've got a chance because I think this coming football season is so important to the morale of the USC tradition and university than anything else. It will overcome all of a lot of the negatives that have happened. All right. We got one last question for you, coach. Uh, this is from Joan. Oh, both our questions this week are, are female uh, initiated questions. So that's cool. Um, Joan says, I know everyone is more quote unquote excited about this year than the last few. Graham Harrell is certainly making an impact, but to me, the rest remains the same. I did a little research and found that our 2016 recruiting class has virtually disappeared. Only a few remain, and most have not seen the field. Number one recruiting class in the Pac-12 and number 10 in the nation, highlighted by Jack Jones and Olawali Bediku, the two five stars. Half the class is gone. Poof. None have seen or saw the field except Jones, who's gone, and Pittman and Vaughn's, and, the only, and they only launched... Uh, when Pittman's father sent out a nasty tweet. This entire class was passed over, save for Iosefa, who hasn't, uh, whose play hasn't shown out. And if he's drafted, I would be surprised. Since you guys are around the program, do you have any clue what happened? Why this entire group was essentially lost? There's a guy, Nathan Smith, who was a four-star offensive tackle that might have been helpful. I don't see him on the roster either. He retired. Um, Connor Murphy is finally getting reps, but if history plays out, he won't see the field. To me, this is another indication of the ineptitude of the staff to see talent develop it and or play favorites, which is a Helton, Clancy, and Nansen special. Coach Hyde, as a coach, what does this say to you uh, from Joan? Well, Joan, I think it's very disappointing when you lose top players when you work so hard to get them. And the number one thing uh, we always thought of is we got to recruit them, we got to keep them, and we got to make them reach their potential. And we got to make sure that we do that the proper way. We got to know that there's a lot of reasons why somebody would rather leave than stay. And we got to make sure that we understand what they all are as far as homesickness, uh, not playing or not, you know, all of, all of the above academic problems. So you got to stay on top of all of this stuff too. And you got to make somebody really be a, that you care about him and you care about his future, and you want to make sure that if he's got a problem, you can tell by looking at him, and you call him in, and you sit down and you talk to him, but yet you've got to be a disciplinarian. And I don't think they've had the, the program that where it's discipline, it's more or less, uh, I'm a star, I'm Hollywood. And I think that there's uh, a Hollywood there was and may still be, uh, I think it's a little bit less this spring, a Hollywood attitude out of there, and I think Clay Helton said it, uh, Saturday or whatever, when he said that, you know, if you just come to USC, you're supposed to win. And it's more than that. Yet it starts, too, at the top of setting the guidelines and rules of what you can do and what you can't do. You don't have a lot of rules because you can't inform all of the rules. You have major rules that you put in place, and they know you mean it. And I think, again, you have to be in control, too, of it's my offense, it's my defense, my special teams as a head football coach and be aware of when it's good and bad or we're not getting through to the players or are getting the right players on the field or players or coaches that don't communicate. I used to always, and I think I've used this before since we've been together so many years, Ryan, maybe 12 years or whatever it is doing this podcast, but I used to be able to walk down my hall and tell what players and coaches communicated and what players or what coaches players liked, but you always see them hanging around with them. I would walk down the hall and I'd look in coach's office and there'd be 
there's so many players in the coach's office, the guy couldn't get his work done, or they're eating lunch in there because they want to be around him or whatever, talk to him. I'll walk in some coach's office and no one's in there. And I used to think, now why two doors down, that's packed, and why here there's nobody in this guy's office ever? It's because they couldn't communicate with the coach or didn't want to communicate with the coach or didn't want to be around him. So there's always a reason for something and that happening. So, you know, they've lost an all-star team and just players that have left or got arrested or all of the different things or got tossed out of school and then later found out that maybe they could have been in school or Bubba Bolden's situation. Hell, this one of the top safeties in America is now going to be playing at Miami. I mean, you know, Levi Jones. I mean, some of these guys, I mean, I can go through them. They were great recruits, five-star recruits out of great areas. Why are they gone? What's gone wrong? That's what I want to know. What's gone wrong? I mean, somebody's not communicating or someone's not doing what's necessary to keep them. And, And again, 100% doesn't work. But when you get great players, and look at the money you've spent recruiting these players to get them there. Well, once you get them, you've got to keep them, and you've got to make sure that they participate in your program. And that's one thing that I've been very concerned with is the loss of great players and also now the incoming of great players and what levels they might be at. Like last year's recruiting class was not what it was normally would be nothing against the players that have signed and are coming next year's recruiting class is not very good as far as nothing against the players that's committed but is it at the level of what normally usc would be recruiting or getting commits on it's more or less now a wait and see what's going to happen that should never be a wait and see it always used to be at usc not, oh, they're in my top 20. Are you kidding me? USC is in my top three from the very beginning. Stanford, USC, Oregon. Or Stanford, USC, UCLA. Or Stanford, USC, uh, Alabama, Nebraska. Whatever. Got to get back to that. If you plan on playing on the national level, on the national scene, in all areas. I'm talking about the spring showcase, the spring game. The type of practices that go on, I thought the best spring practice was the last spring practice. That should have been uh, uh, better than what it was. It should have been a game-type situation because last week's practice should have been the week before or the week before to bring it to a level of where you can have a full-time game on the field, on a field that has goalposts, on a field that has a stadium somewhere where people can tailgate and be a part and be proud of what the program is. There were so many people on campus on Saturday that the scheduling of a spring practice or the final spring practice, uh, I mean with the Reader's Week or Times Week or so on, it was like the Notre Dame game uh, two times as far as getting off the freeways to get to practice. Well, you know, you've got to be able to make it it where people want to come and want to be in that element and want to be proud of whatever they're a part of. And that's basically what I what I see here. You know, I've got so much pride in what USC's about as far as academically, athletically. And, you know, most of the people that listen to this show are graduates of USC, like yourself. I'm not. But I've learned to respect it as a player coming up where, at that time, they just wanted to talk to me once out of community college, and I thought that was awesome. So, you know, this is way the way it should be every year. So that's my answer. Um, Coach, real quick, uh, I'll go through the class of 2016 for you. So uh, Oluwale Bedeku, he's transferring to Illinois. Uh, Jack Jones, uh, he's you know out of the program. Tyler Vaughn's, you know, he's been good. Tyler Vaughn's. Now those been... are two. Now wait a minute, those are two five stars, right? Yeah, two five stars. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Two five stars gone. Okay. Two five stars gone. Yeah. Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's both playing a lot. Uh, EJ Price, uh, the offensive tackle out of Georgia, he's transferred out. Jamel Cook. Now that's a five star too, right? He was a four star, uh, like 
composite, but I think he was a five star. He might have been a five star in one of the the rankings, but yeah, he's a highly ranked player. Right, he, you know, and, top, uh, and, and he was the top player I saw as far as a newcomer in the spring. Yeah, I'm telling you that top hundred great player. Okay, yeah. there's there's another one. Okay, top hundred player in the country. Him and Jamel Cook, another top hundred player in the country. Safety another for one. Miami. Uh, they beat Florida State in the last minutes. I talked to the Florida State coaches. They were sick that they lost him. There's wow. another one. Five star, right? Yeah, I mean he's a high. He was four star by most of them. Uh, Trayvon right. Sydney also. Uh, he's transferring to Illinois. Uh, Josh Metorbebe. He's transferring. Hasn't announced where he's transferring yet. Uh, Frank Martin hasn't done really anything, but he got some reps this spring. Uh, this spring uh, when the other tackles were hurt. Um, Vivai Malpai, he's you know he's playing out there. Kerry Angeline, uh, he transferred out. He's a tight end from uh, from Pennsylvania. Connor Murphy, like like Jones said, hasn't really done much yet, but you know I think he's got some first team reps uh, this spring. C.J. Pollard, not not much from him yet. Uh, he's been out this spring with a foot injury. Nathan Smith, uh, the uh, offensive tackle from Marietta, he medically retired. Uh, Keyshawn Pai Young, he's moved positions and stuff. We haven't really seen much of him. Uh, Matt Fink, you know, we know about him. Valus Jones is also transferring out, or he's in the transfer portal, hasn't announced he visited Tennessee this past weekend. A lot of transfers in this group. Uh, Jordan Isefa, he's a senior uh, linebacker on the squad. Liam Jimmons, we haven't seen much from him. He's actually switched from defense to offense. And uh, again, like Frank Martin, he was getting some first-team reps. And I think um, Clay Hilton was asked specifically like of guys that switched positions who probably has had the biggest impact. And he he liked the way Liam Jimmons uh, played on the offensive side. Uh, Josh Fatu was uh, from Long Beach City College, so he played when he was here, but he's obviously gone now. So, um, yeah, a lot of people from that 2016 class coach not around any longer yeah ryan you know when you say that now don't get me wrong a lot of times as a coaching staff you make what you call a mistake okay so there's probably several of those players and i saw it too when i evaluated them on film that yeah they're fine players but are they usc type of players are they players that are going to take you to the promised land. And some of them were reaches, okay? Some of them were, oh, because everybody says they're really good, they're good. And I'm not going to ask you, and don't you dare mention names, but I used to talk to you off the air, why would they offer them or him? And you and I have spoken with that, and we know and uh, what we're talking about. So on some of those type of situations, I can see that happening, but it's not the player's fault. It's the coaching staff's fault to make a reach like that and make a mistake. That player should get his full scholarship, and if he does decide to transfer, I'd be the first one to help him because we made that mistake. We forecast wrong, and uh, I feel sorry for those kids because – most kids, when they say, I got an offer from USC, wow, I'm going there. So it's not always uh, the player's fault. It's the coach's fault. And you are going to make those mistakes unintentionally. But that many, that sort of shows me that someone didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. And, you know, it's very similar to you can say that you think Lynn Swan's like a terrible athletic director. I've said that. A lot of people have said that. Or, that, you know, Clay Helton wasn't really qualified to be USC's head coach and he should have been fired last year and all that kind of stuff. You know, I wouldn't blame, I don't blame Clay Helton for taking that job. You're offered this amazing job. You take it. If Lynn Swan wasn't really doing anything in Pennsylvania and gets offered two, three million a year to, to come back to his alma mater, like, yeah, you take it. I don't blame them for taking the job. But when they didn't have the, you know, they weren't the right people, they weren't the right fit. It's more the people that hired them that you have the issue with. Same thing, like you're talking about the players. You don't blame the player if some guy comes in and he can't he can't play to the level of the the people on that team. If the coach has offered him a scholarship and you had a chance, like you take it. Oh, I agree with you hundred percent on everything, and it goes back to the leadership who was in charge at this time, as far as the athletic director and also the president. Did the president really know what was going on, or was he just a fundraiser and listen to everything? And sometimes boosters get too much involved. Okay. 
Sometimes because they're heavy contributors, they call the president, and they're starting to name who should be what, okay? You've got to be strong enough as a president to say, you know, we appreciate all the money you give our university, but you're not going to name our coach. And uh, I think that uh, a lot of pressure sometimes comes from the outside in that area too, Ryan. So you've got to have a strong enough president that understands that too and gets the people that should be there. Yeah. I can read the coach. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, no more spring football. So we'll uh, just kind of move forward, I guess, and talk about all the other things that are that are going to be going on this off season. So we, like I said, send us your emails, text, any questions, things like that. Uh, any kind of topics you would like us to discuss this off season. Cause we're, we're going to need some help because there's not a lot going on. <laughs> oh, hell. We always have a lot going there's on. There's always questions. Okay? Or, yeah. What the hell are you talking about? Okay. Yeah. There's always something to talk Just about. Just solicit a so, question, coach. We've got to get them to, you know, send them in and stuff. So. Yeah. Send them in, send them in. You know, you can follow me on Twitter as Ryan always gives you at coach Harvey Hyde at coach Harvey Hyde or at, uh, Instagram, uh, Harvey Hyde, coach Harvey Hyde. That's it. So, uh, Hey, Ryan, buddy, another uh, beautiful Monday morning with you. I want to thank you for the opportunity of being on the podcast. I appreciate uh, all of our listeners out there and people that send in questions and all of the above. And without you, we don't have a show. And, uh, buddy, you have a, a great week, okay? Yeah, you too, Coach. And I was like, oh, we don't have a lot to talk about. Well, it was like 50 minutes worth that we still talked about stuff. But there was a lot I of know, good. I know. <laughs> I know. A lot of good topics, so uh, great stuff. Thank you, Coach, for coming on, and uh, thanks, everyone out there, for listening to the Peristyle Podcast, sending in your questions, topics, all that kind of stuff. So thanks so much, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.